Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I am the pastor here at Zion, and I am excited to be with you all today. So we are going through a series in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. We're going to be talking about transformation for mission. And I want to start off asking the question, do you remember how God sealed the deal for you in your relationship with him? If you follow Jesus, do you remember a moment or a time that kind of happened that that you walked away from living in mainly doubt to living in realizing that, all right, God is real and I'm going to follow him. I remember that moment for myself. I was 18 years old, even though I believe I was saved and all of that, I was still living with a majority of doubt in my heart. And I I lived in Ohio at this time, uh, in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio. And when I lived there, uh, I was praying this prayer that I, I wanted to know God and I wanted to really believe that if I'm gonna give my life to God, if I'm gonna give my entire being to him, then I wanna know that he is real. And you know, I grew up of the Pentecostal persuasion, so the gifts of the Spirit were always active in my church and growing up. And the scriptures say, desire earnestly the gifts of the Spirit. And so I was praying on a regular basis, God, I wanna hear your voice. I wanna know your voice. If I am gonna be one of your children, if, if the scripture is real, then I need to hear and know your voice. And I prayed this for months before a time came where I felt like I heard God's voice, not an audible voice, but I understood that God was speaking to me. And so then I, you know, the devil's always playing tricks with you and so is your mind. And so then I thought, well, how do I know I'm not just crazy? That at this, I'm not becoming schizophrenic or that there's just some something wildly imbalanced. You know, crazy people don't always know that they're crazy. Usually you have to get a diagnosis to figure out you're crazy. And at that point, I hadn't gotten a diagnosis. And so I said, all right, God, if I believe that you speak to me, then I want to be able to tell me something about somebody else. This is in the scriptures called prophecy and somebody I've never met before and let's see what happens. And so we used to have these Friday night youth groups and uh, Friday night there was a person who came that night for the first time and I felt like God had given me a prophetic word for that person. And I, I was, you know, I was too much of a pansy. I wasn't going to go tell them. Uh, and I was, you know, I, was, I worked up this whole thing in my head. But the youth pastor at the time came up to me and he goes, Justin, I, I believe that God has given you a word to share with somebody. And I was like, well, if this is the time, this is, this is going to be the time. And so I went up to that person and I shared with them what I believed God has spoken. Now, the heavens did not open up. This person didn't cry. Nothing crazy happened. But at the end of what I shared, I prayed for him. And then afterwards, he said, wow how did you know? And what are you talking about? He said, I was up all night last night thinking about everything that you just said. I couldn't sleep. And I came to church today because of exactly what you said. And, you know, I kept my poker face on and I was like, wow, man, thank you for sharing that. And after you shared that, I walked right to the back. There was a back door to the church where it led to a parking lot. It was probably around 930 at night. Nobody was there. I ran to the back, opened the door and just screamed out, God, you're real. (laughs) And that was the moment for me. I realized where doubt was not going to have the final word in my relationship with God, that yeah, there would be doubts that come every now and then, 
but ultimately my life was going to be a life I lived for God. And that was the end of that story. And so today we're going to read about that moment for Simon Peter. We're gonna be reading from Luke chapter five, verse one to 11, and you should have it on your sheets. And you can read along with me or on your phone or in your Bible. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gethsemane and saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked them to put a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep from the boat. I love New York. (laughs) And let down your nets. This sounds like me on alternate side when someone's blocking me in. (laughs) Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And so just to catch you up, Jesus is preaching and the crowds are pressing in on him. So he gets into Simon's boat. He tells Simon to go out a little bit because your voice carries over water. And so he begins to preach from the water. And then he tells Simon how to fish. And so Simon answers, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that when they began so that they began to sink and when Simon Peter saw it he fell down at Jesus's knees saying depart from me for I am a sinful man O Lord for he and all who were with him were astonished or amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were James and John the son of Zebedee who were partners with Simon and Jesus said to Simon do not be afraid from now on you will be catching men And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So I want you to remember last week as Melvin preached, Jesus, he starts his mission. Chapter four was all about laying the foundation, all the different types of miracles and authority that Jesus has over the physical, the seen realm, the unseen realm. He declares the good news of the kingdom of God. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, I have come to preach the good news and the kingdom. And so now... Jesus has stated, restated his mission himself, and now what we get to see today is how that mission extends to his followers or his disciples or people like you and me. And in our life, if you understand, when you are called by Jesus, you realize something very early on, that when Jesus calls, that whatever you are doing, whatever you believe your life is called to do, whatever you believe your purpose is, that when Jesus calls you, something happens, you realize that what Jesus has for you is better than anything that you could have for yourself. That what Jesus calls you to do, he has created me, he has formed me, he understands me better than I understand myself. And so when he says, Justin, this is what you have been designed for, this is what I created you for, It is better than anything I can come up with. It is better than anything I know myself. It is better than any kind of introspection, meditation, self-awareness, what other people can tell me because he is my creator. He knows best. And so what I want you first to understand from this text is that Jesus knows better. He knows better than us. So what's amazing about what Jesus does here is he gets into a fisherman's boat. Now you gotta understand something about Jesus. Jesus is the son of a carpenter. 
Now, back then, you, you were kind of raised in the family. The family trade was what you did growing up for the most part. There were, sometimes people would break out of that and do something else, but generally, what you grew up in, that was half of your schooling. It was what your parents passed on to you. And so Jesus, as a son of a carpenter, most likely was in the natural skilled as a carpenter. And so here's these disciples, well, not disciples yet, Simon, these fishermen, they look at this man, a son of a carpenter, and these are professional fishermen. They know their trade. This is how they make a living. this, This is their profession. This is what they do every single day. What is it that they do? They go fishing. And the son of a carpenter says what? Put out your nets. You're gonna catch something. Now, Peter rightly points out to Jesus, you know, he doesn't disrespect him and go, what does the son of a carpenter know about fishing? Which is probably what he was thinking. But instead, he, he says the logic is all wrong. We see that in verse five. The logic is all wrong. He tells Jesus, we worked all night. We got nothing. I've been fishing in his lake all night, Jesus. Ain't nothing come out of it. And then on top of that, it's the middle of the day. It's not a good time for fishing. And so when Jesus tells Peter to do something, he realizes the logic is all wrong. And I, and I realize that this happens all the time with my children. You know, I, I homeschool Judah. We spend the morning together going through his schoolwork. And I tell him almost every day, I'm trying to get it through. Judah, do the hard work first. It's his math. Do your math sheet first. If you finish that, the rest of the day is gonna be breeze for you. He goes, no, daddy, I wanna do the easy stuff first. I just wanna get it all done with. And I'm like, Judah, just listen to me. I'm telling you, you got energy now. Just do the hard work first. Priorities, my friend. Do the big rocks, the big things first. He goes, no, daddy. And so at the end of the day, when I come home and my wife is stressed out and Judah is stressed out, I ask, what happened? I'm trying to rush to do my math. Dad, I can't finish it. It's just taking so long. I just want to be done. I don't want to mess up TV time. And I go, Judah. I told you, do your math first. Why didn't you do your math first? I know I should have done it first, but I didn't listen to you. I wanted to do everything else first. Without fail, every time. Because in his head, the logic is all wrong. Why would I do the hard thing first? That's dumb. I want to do all the easy stuff. He wants to check off everything and leave that last part. He's a, he's a Matera procrastinator. I was the king of procrastination as a kid. I understand the life. I'm trying to break the habit now so he's not an adult and procrastinating. Peter has a different response here. The logic is all wrong, but he says, all right, master, I'm going to do what you say. And he puts his net out. He decides to obey anyway. How often God calls us to do something in our life and we look at the circumstances of our life and we say, the logic is all wrong, God. I'm not doing that. That's crazy. Don't you see my job title, my education, my bank account, my circumstance? The logic is wrong. I'm not doing that, God. So often we miss out on what God has for us because we don't have the response of obedience like Peter has. And so Peter obeys. And what happens, we see in the rest of verse five, he is met with more abundance than he can handle. What does he have to do? He has to call James and John and he says, guys, get over here. 
I need the extra boat because my nets are going to break. I can't handle everything here. This is probably the biggest catch of his career. You need to understand that, yeah, you may have a lot of knowledge, you may have a lot of wisdom about yourself, about your life, about your profession, but whatever business, profession, expertise, or role you have in your life, remember this, that Jesus knows better than we do. He may have been a son of a carpenter, but guess what? He knew exactly where those fish were gonna be. In fact, he could have called those fish over there. They may have not been there before. We don't know what happened. But all we do know is that when we obey, we live into what God is calling us to do that is better than anything that we could have done for ourselves. See, if I was Pentecostal today, I would say, turn to your neighbor and say, he knows better. Isaiah 55, nine says, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know what I need to understand? Jesus is a better website builder than me. He's a better nurse than you. He's a better parent than us. He is a better doctor than us. He knows better. It doesn't matter what we do, how many years we've been going to school for. It doesn't matter how many years we've been on the street. He knows better. He knows better than you, and he knows better than me. And when he calls, the best response that we can have in our life is one of obedience, a posture of whatever your will is, Lord, so is mine. I'm going to do it. And so you need to understand something in life that whatever you are doing, when Jesus comes and he gives you a command, what should you do? You should stop what you are doing and obey. Because the second thing we learn about this story of Peter is that encountering Jesus will change your life forever. When Jesus comes and he calls, and the logic is all wrong, and Lord, that's, that's not what I'm supposed to do. That's not what I'm equipped to do. That's not how I thought my life trajectory was going to go. When, when Jesus calls and we obey, when we encounter him, our entire life is changed. When we truly encounter Jesus, two things should happen that we see here in the text. The first is that we are in awe of his gratefulness, of his greatness, and therefore our sinfulness. When Peter brings in that catch and he sees all the fish, his nets are breaking, he has to call his friend and it's still not enough. What does he do? He drops the fish, he drops the nets, he goes onto his knees and he says, get away from me, Lord. For I am a sinful man. It's much like the response of Mary when the angel encounters her, or Elizabeth when the angel encounters. The awe of God comes upon them. Peter realizes that he is in the presence of greatness. And he says, I am unworthy. When we encounter Jesus, it should be a moment of unworthiness of ourself, a realization that we are way more sinful than we ever thought, and he is way more awesome than we could have ever imagined. The second thing that happens is our course of direction should change. In verse 11, what does it say that they do? They left everything and followed him. 
when Paul encounters Jesus on the Damascus road, he says two things. Who are you, Lord, and what would you have me do? When we encounter Jesus, the life direction that we have, it changes course. Whatever we were doing is not what we were going to be doing. So you can be going to church for a long time. You can be participating. You can be doing a lot of stuff. But unless you truly encounter Jesus and your life is changed, you don't need to be changed to go to him. But let me tell you, brother, let me tell you, sister, after you are with him, your life will change. Your direction will change. Your choices will change. Your decisions will change. Your desires will change. Your heart will change. It will go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Everything about you will change. Things that you thought ingrained part of your personality will all of a sudden no longer be there anymore because they were only character flaws in the beginning. Jesus says, no, this is what I have created you for. If nothing changes in our life when we encounter the Christ, then I would wonder who are we encountering in our life? See, many people in church in America these days, we're encountering great production, we're encountering great music, we're encountering great speeches, but are we encountering Jesus? Are you encountering Jesus when you open up the text? Are you encountering Jesus when you show up at the gathering of the saints on a Sunday? Are you encountering Jesus when you said, like Jess said, when you're washing the dishes, when you're folding laundry, when you are doing what he has called you to do? Are you encountering Jesus? Are you encountering one emotional high after another? Not only did Simon leave everything, but all of his partners left everything too. It changed his circle of influence lives as well. James and John and Andrew, they were about that life as well. They saw what happened and their life direction was changed. They all left what they did to follow Jesus. But the crazy thing about this is Simon, as I said, just made probably the best catch of his life. Who knows how long this catch, the money from this catch would have held him for. His reaction astounds me. His reaction is not to hoard it and to say, well, thank you, God, for today's blessing. God is good. Can I get an amen? I have a pet peeve around that. You know, when something good happens and we say God is good, like when something bad happens, God isn't good anymore. Remind yourself in the bad and the good. Tangent, anyway. His reaction, <laughs> my number one fan right here, Jonathan Rodriguez, everybody. <laughs> his reaction was not to hoard it and to continue on with his life and think, oh, what great blessings I have on me now. Matthew 13, 44, my, if not my favorite, one of my favorite parables in the Bible and the shortest, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It is worth everything when you encounter Jesus. 
It is worth all that you have. Peter looks at the most abundant catch you probably ever had in his life, something that probably would have sustained him and his partners for a while. They would have said, well, we didn't know there's all these fish here. Let's keep going fishing. Let's make a lot more money. Let's change our lives for the better. Let's, let's grow on the ladder of, of life. Let's make ourselves a better life for our life, for our family and our kids. No, what does he do? He looks at all that money lying on the table and he leaves his job that day. And he gets a new profession. He leaves everything that he knew. He leaves it behind and he's like that man in the parable that sells everything that he has and buys the field because the kingdom of God is greater. And when we encounter Jesus, the matchless worth of what he has to offer, we realize all that we have, all of our possessions, all that we've saved are mere pennies for the matchless beauty and unperishable reward that is what Jesus has to offer. I'm telling you, if, if the biggest deal in my business life came to me tomorrow, And then Jesus said, follow me, and following me, him meant walking away from that deal. Would I throw my net and run? Is the thing that we've been praying for, is it the thing that supersedes Jesus himself? Some of us have been praying for promotions and jobs and better circumstances for so long we forgot what it was like to pray to encounter Jesus. And we'll never get those things because those things would be the very things that would stand in the way of us encountering Jesus. Jesus knew that that abundance, when Peter met with him, Peter would look at that abundance and he would look at Jesus and it was a no-brainer. I'm gonna follow him. I don't want the fish, I want the fish maker. Some of us are so consumed with the material, we forget who is the one who created it all. Nothing is left unchanged after we encounter Christ the King. Nothing is left the same because nothing could be better. Not the best business deal, not the best promotion, not the best bonus. It is not anything in comparison to what Jesus offers us. But the question I ask is, why does God change our life? Because so often... It's like we encounter Jesus just for the sake of encountering Jesus. And then we go back to our normal life. Well, if we look here, Jesus proclaims his mission. And then his first disciple, Peter, his life is, he, Peter encounters Jesus. And we realize here that our lives are changed for the mission. If the end result was for us to be saved, we know the end result isn't for material gain. We know the end result isn't so we can live comfortable lives. If that is our mentality, we gotta read more of the Bible. It's just something that is a disconnect there. We know that is not the end result. So if it was just to be saved, when we would get saved, we would go up into heaven. But no, 
Jesus encounters us, and when he does, our lives are changed. And why are our lives changed? It is changed for the mission. Because the invitation to all of us is to join God in the renewal of all things, to join him in the building of his kingdom, to join him that this is not only Jesus' mission to proclaim the good news, but he gives us that mission with him, and he says, join me in it. Jesus doesn't do this so Simon and his friends can feel good about themselves and get on with their life. He does this because he's inviting them and saying, you're part of my kingdom now. You're going on mission with me now. We're doing this together now. See, Jesus doesn't just change Simon's name to Peter, but he changes the purpose of his life. In verse 10, it says, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Used to catch fish. From now on, you will be catching men. See, the the catching phrase, that that word catching, that means this is an ongoing process. This is not, you're going to catch them, you're going to do something. No. Um, From now until the day you die, you have a purpose. From now until the day you die, you have a mission. It's my mission. It's the church's mission. This is what we are all called to do. This is why we exist. This is the reason why we get up in the morning. No, not so that we can feel good, not so that we can have an encounter for encounter's sake, not so that we can get on a spiritual high. It is for the mission. It is why the church exists, the ecclesia. To spread the good news of Jesus. To build the kingdom of God. To live a life of gathering and rescuing the lost. This, this is why we exist. It's why we wake up. It's why we do what we do. And we've lost that so often because of the consumeristic culture of the church that why does the church exist so that I can have a program? Why does the church exist so I can have good worship? Why does the church exist so I can hear a good sermon? It grieves me that we've lost our mission, that we've lost the why. That we've made it all about ourselves. We've made it all self-centered. We forgot that this is, this is not a Target or a Walmart where we come in and we take the goods that we like and then we leave and then we rate it and see how good it was and then maybe we'll try a different place to see if that store is better or not. This is the church that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against. That is not a defensive body of people. That is an offensive body that we are sacking the city of the kingdom of darkness. Every time we see someone baptized, every time we see someone confess, we are taking away the dominion of darkness. We are stripping it away. And Jesus says, I have come, and this is not only why I have come, but now come with me. You come too. 
And what I love about what Jesus says to Peter here is Peter just confessed. Not that I have sinned, Lord. He says, I am sinful. He labels his character. He labels his heart. He labels his soul, one of dirtiness, one of sinfulness. This is who I am. I am a sinful person. And what does Jesus turn around and do? He doesn't say, do five years of penance, three years of no sin, and then come to me and we'll see how you're doing then. He doesn't say, perform 30 Hail Marys, come to me, we'll see you then. What does he say? He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. He redefines Peter. Peter was ready to disqualify himself from God's presence. He was ready to disqualify himself from what God had called him to do. And many of us sitting here today will say, that's not me. And we have lived this unfortunate reality that it is the professional's job because they are better. They are sinful less. They, they, they look better, sound better, act better than me. And that is a lie. I am a sinful man. Jesus does the unthinkable. He invites the sinful person to partake in his mission, his inheritance, his kingdom. And he says, don't worry. My cloak is going to overshadow you. My blood is going to clean you. My body will be broken for you. You are not disqualified from living out the mission that God has called you to live. In fact, you are invited today to partake in it every single day in that mission of building the kingdom of God. I build it in my home. I build it in my job. I build it with the church. I build it with my friends. Every single day I am invited into it because it is not by my might. It is not by my power. It is not by my wisdom. What is it? It is by the power of the gospel that people will see salvation. The good news of Jesus Christ. And he invites you, sinner, today into the mission with him. And he says, I will do this with you. Don't demean your life and leave all the fun of Christianity to the professionals. Don't do it. In our culture, you will be tempted to do that. But Jesus has come he encounters, he changes, and he invites us. Be fishers of men. Stand with me and pray. Lord, I thank you that you know better than any of us here. You know what we are created for. You know how we are supposed to live that out. You know our next steps that we are supposed to do. Help us, Lord, that when you call, that we would obey, 
when the logic isn't there, Lord, that we would obey and we would encounter you in a new way, that we would step out with boldness into this new reality that you have called your church to live out, this mission of sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. One, there is no sorrow or crying or sickness. That we live in a new reality that the Son of God has come, has taken the wrath of the Father and has set the captives free. If there are some of us here, Lord, that have not encountered you in a life-changing way, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would come and that you would draw us close to you. That encounter the risen Jesus, the risen Christ, and our lives would be changed forever. And Lord, if there are some here that have forgotten the reason why, this mission that you have called us on, that you would help us renew, Lord, that we do not live our life for ourselves, for our own pleasure, for our own good circumstance, but we live for you and the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.